I invite you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. It's good to see everyone out. Uh, the members here also, if you're visiting with us, very glad that you're here. Um, especially for a few visitors. <laughs> uh, my, uh, some of the same people that you might have met a few weeks ago came back and we got a few other things done at the house. Just really starts to feel like everything's coming together. Uh, but then you end up getting one thing done and you find something else that either you messed up yourself or something else that needs to be done. So, uh, it, but ultimately, uh, it's just, it's been good to have them with us for the last couple of days and we just really appreciate them being here. Uh, but again, it, even if you're not family, we're just glad that you're visiting with us. You're an honored guest here and we hope that you'll give us some time to speak with you, uh, get to know you a little bit better or just be able to, uh, if we already do know you, talk to you a little bit more. Um, Again, if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3. If you already saw the title of this lesson on the sign coming into the church building this morning, then you already know what the lesson's going to be about. And you can probably already tell what verses we're going to read in Galatians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 26. There's a lot that Paul talks about throughout the little letter to the Christians in um, uh, the, the Galatian Christians. And so there, there are just so many weighty matters that he tends to, and especially in chapters 3 and 4, talks a lot about faith and what f real faith, true faith, looks like. Um, but as he gets into all of those things and he kind of unpacks a lot of uh, application that he wants Christians, not just uh, these specific Christians, but all Christians, to really truly apply to their own lives or to bring into their own lives, you get to verse 26 and he says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Family, just the, the, the family structure, the family unit has a great impact on when you look at uh, just surveys that are done or, or uh, studies that are done on our culture, on culture in and of itself, it has a great impact on society. Um, it has a great impact at large, but also people individually. You know, whether, how someone was raised, whether or not they had uh, the, the, the family as God intended it to be, um, a mother and a father. Um, it, you can see the differences in how those certain people were raised and maybe some differences just in mindset, in emotional, uh, uh, in, on their emotions, their personality, whatever the case may be. But it has a very great impact on, for many different reasons. When you get, come to Galatians chapter 3, obviously Paul is, is, one of the things he's discussing is the division that you would find, especially in the first century, when both Jews and Gentiles alike are being, are being pre preached the same path to heaven. Uh, and in the same way, he's, it's not like, oh, well, the Jews get one path because, well, they're Jews. And the Gentiles, they get the other path because, obviously, they're, they're Greeks. They're, of course they would need another path. No, it's all one path to get to Jesus, all one path to get to heaven and be with him once more, to be his disciple. It, but I like how uh, Paul puts this at the end of Galatians chapter 3 by making it clear, you are all sons of God. 
ultimately you are all family. That's what the church is supposed to be. That is what Christians are supposed to be and how we are supposed to act with one another. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning, this idea of being a family in God. You even get to verse 29 at the end of the chapter as we just read and, and saying that you belong to Christ, therefore you are descendants of Abraham. And he's talking again to both Gentiles and Jews. And so there's a great, there's a great impact there. Um, and, and so all throughout the New Testament, what you find is it's not just in Galatians, but you find this idea of Christians being a family, uh, or at least that should be the way that it is. You even see in Ephesians chapter 5, God uses family relationships to describe the function of the church. All throughout Galatians chapter 5, you see Paul, again, writing to Christians about you know, the relationships between a spouse, a husband and a wife, relationships between parents and their children. And how they are supposed to treat each other, how they are supposed to act with one another. And then ultimately, especially as he gets to like the the the, the uh, epitome of intimacy when it comes to your relationships, being husband and a wife, he says this relationship, this relationship that's supposed to top all the all the others, your devotion is supposed to top all the others. This is the relationship that was supposed to foreshadow the church. In Christ, the church being the bride of Christ. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 31 through 32 where he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 where from the beginning God made this intimate relationship ultimately trying to point forward to what it was supposed to look like with the church and Christ. Now what we're going to do this morning with all that being said as we think about this idea of the, the church being a family in God what I want to do is take a mental survey as we go throughout all of these points and out throughout all these passages. And what I'd like for you to do is ask yourself these questions, not saying, well, what about anyone else? Or, well, how does this person act with, with the rest of the brethren here? What I want to do is ask myself, you ask yourself, how am I doing in all of these different scenarios? How am I doing in, when it comes to these passages applying it to me? How am I doing in this? So just two points. And the first one, the main question would be uh, that I'd like to start with is what do you do for family? How much effort do you put into your earthly families when it comes to your siblings, your mother or father? And then I want to apply that as it comes to the church. Uh, so as we uh, begin this point, if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. This brings us to one of the first uh, questions on this mental survey that I want to ask. Paul, in the first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and this should be pretty familiar if you sat in on the Bible class uh, that Brother Ken has been going through. He's been going through 1 and 2 Timothy, and, and now we're going to be getting to Titus very soon. We didn't, uh, it's not been too long since we read through this. But you see how he writes about, as he's speaking to Timothy, giving him the commandments and also to relate to the other people in the church there. He he. he uses these relationships in the same way that we were just talking about as Galatians chapter 3. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. So the first question is, do I view fellow Christians the way Paul describes? The way Paul would have. And you know, Paul, especially when you look at his writings, in Philippians especially, oh, you read the first chapter and it's just filled with the most passionate and intimate language for those that he truly loves. You don't say that to people that you're just acquaintances with. You say that to people, you say, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
You say that to people who you truly love, who you truly have a relationship with. So the question again is, do I view fellow Christians in this way, the way that we're supposed to? Too often, what I think happens is, is Christians get into, I don't know, just some kind of false mindset that this is like an extracurricular activity. This is almost like a practice, is like a sport to a degree. Well, you know, on Sundays, twice on Sunday, and that's, that's the two-a-day practices. And then you get to Wednesday, and that's your Wednesday evening practice. But first of all, I, that's, that's an erroneous way of thinking about it. But if you think about it in that way, if that's practice, when does the game start? But that's, that's just a false way of thinking about it anyway. But, you know, I, you know when you think about how uh, we view sports, you know, you play, well, I won't go with rugby because it's not as popular up here or down here, but um, so uh, football, you know, you can have a full team of players and especially in high school, I remember that the coaches would always say this, they'd say, you guys are family, you guys would do anything for each other and you know what, you're going to bleed together on that field, well yes, we did physically bleed together a few times, but would I do anything for those dudes? No. Would I, would I help those guys? Uh, you know, would I you know, go out of my way in the same way that I would help my sisters, uh, especially at a younger age when they were you know, moving off to college? And I am not going to move sofas for anyone else but blood relatives. Okay? Have you ever had to move an entire couch up three flights of stairs? I don't know why, but my sisters decided that they wanted to pick an apartment that was three flights of stairs. And I will never do that for someone that I don't, that I'm not invested in. And that's the thing. You don't really invest in that kind of way, in that kind of intimate way with just anybody, with just acquaintances, with just people that you're going to play a game with, a simple, silly game. And, and yes, I, I use the word silly when it comes to football. I understand that, that, that UK football does matter. But in the grand scheme of things, football doesn't matter that much. It doesn't, it doesn't account for eternity. But when you talk about the people here, do we view those relationships as just mere acquaintances? People that I am not that invested in. That's okay with extracurricular activities, but not when you're talking about something like this. So we can't look at it in that same way. We can't look at it, or the people around us, those that have been baptized into Christ, how can we look at them in any other way than those who have put away the old man to make themselves look even more like Christ, as we tried to do. We shouldn't look at them as strangers. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 19 beginning, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together and growing in, uh, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now I understand that, this is, that Paul is addressing something different. Uh, I, I believe he's um, kind of talking about that, that wall, that dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and so I think he's directly speaking to that a little bit more. But, but no matter what, what does he say here? You're supposed to be growing into a holy temple of God. I really think that it would, there would be a strange feeling uh, to say that we are supposed to be the holy temple of God and yet because so-and-so does not sit on my side of the building, because I sit on the top left side of, of the building, someone else sits on the you know, back right side of the building, well, how are we ever going to be able to really get to know each other, <laughs> right? That's not the way it should be. What it should be is no matter how far they sit, 
no matter how far away they are, that is one of the, one of the assembly. That's someone who's a part of the holy temple of God, just like me. So they shouldn't be strangers. They shouldn't be foreign to us. And so we need to have relationships with those people. We need to view them in the same way that Paul viewed people that he would be with maybe just for a couple of years. And then he'd write to them and you, and you read those words in the most beautiful of language. Could we use that with each other? Well, the next question I want to ask is, do I care for the church as a family? Are the emotions actually there? And are the actions therefore actually there? Over in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 23. I don't don't know why, but while we were singing that last hymn, my, my voice just started to weaken a good bit, so... Uh, hopefully, it, hopefully it'll stay strong throughout the rest of the lesson. But in Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning in verse 23, uh, the Hebrew writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wa- wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, a lot of the time when we use this passage, we use it specifically to talk about the idea that we need to make sure we're not forsaking the assembly, that we are coming together. And I think that's an appropriate, a very valid, and an important point to make. But, but in terms of looking at the family of God, why are they assembling together? Well, one, I think that there's a commandment, there's just an expectation in the New Testament that we are to assemble together. But also, what are they doing when they assemble together and when they come together together? But he says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We are trying to help each other. We're trying to encourage each other. Ultimately, we're trying to hold each other's hands into heaven. Help each other get there. And not just, you know, run past them in the race and just say, well, hopefully I'll see you soon. No, we are trying to pick them up when they fall. We're trying to to encourage them when they feel like they are too tired, that they are too weary to continue on. And so there's there's... It's, it's, it's not just something that we are to be idle in, that we just say, hello, how are you doing? And then literally only on Wednesday night will we say the same thing, and then you just keep going in that routine. But rather, it's, some, it's, it's, it's a relationship that we take time in and that we do much for. And I would just ask, how much do you do? How much work do you put into just your physical families? We tend to put a lot of work into that. And, and you know, it doesn't take that much, well, Maybe when it comes to children, when they're very small, they don't want to do the work. Why do we have to do this? And often, you know, what do we say? Family. That's why. But we put a lot of time and energy, and we put a lot of effort into helping one another. Good example, this weekend. This is not the first time that you've seen my in-laws in just the span of a couple weeks. And they drove the hours that it took to get here, and they spent all day yesterday, and especially uh, Paige's brother, he's been working with me the entire week, every day, all day, just getting this house in order. And that's not, not even on spiritual things. But that is how hard we work for one another. Why? Because it's family. And that is the reason. That's the only reason we need to give most of the time. Well, going over to Romans chapter 12, I, I, especially when it comes to this spiritual relationship, I don't think it only pertains to just spiritual needs. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preser- uh, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, and contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So... 
I don't think that that is only, only talking about spiritual needs. Because at the very end, he's talking about the, uh, contributing to the needs of the saints and showing hospitality. I think that uh, there is, uh, and even Brother Danny, he went over a lesson which I thought was very helpful when it talked about the benevolence to saints. We don't just give those funds, the Lord's funds, uh, to, to just anybody. That has a specific purpose. But I think as we're showing brotherly love to one another, it doesn't just end in spiritual encouragement. It, it, it culminates even in the physical realm. We help each other uh, in our, with physical needs when times get rough. We help each other and lend our, uh, lend our muscles to the help of others when uh, they are lagging behind or when they need help uh, because of physical ailments or whatever the case. So there's both spiritual things, encouragement, edification, exhortation, and also physical action that I think comes with this kind of relationship, the spiritual relationship with those of the church, this, this group that's supposed to be a family. And, and going back to that idea that we work so hard for family, look at how hard Paul and the rest of the apostles worked for the brethren. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, You recall, you remember, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly we, uh, and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were ex exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And you remember how hard Paul works. Uh, you just go through Acts and you see all the persecutions he went through. We talked about it in the Bible class this morning. Not just the persecutions, but just the hardships in, in um, some of the uh, betrayals from certain brethren like Demas. And in some of the physical uh, lacking that, that Paul had to suffer through that he writes about at the end of Philippians. Now Paul is content in all of those things. But, but ultimately you see all of the tribulation and difficulty that Paul had to face. Why did he do it? Well, because he loved God and he was going to work hard for his brethren. He was going to work hard for God first and foremost. And he was going to work God, therefore, for the people who tried to strive to emulate him. And the people who are supposed to be a part of that holy temple that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. So, we, so all that being said, I just wanted to bring that up because Paul worked so hard for brethren in that way. I, I do think that, as we were talking about earlier, we tend to work only that hard when it comes to the earthly family. But it needs to extend past that into the, this, uh, that spiritual family that we have. And I won't uh, uh, belabor the point since we already gave that example. You don't, you don't just carry a couch up three flights of stairs for no reason. We do it because we are invested in those people. And I would just say to the previous point, how you view brethren, I think, is often revealed in your interaction with them or lack there, the lack thereof. So we need to be thinking about that, our interactions with our brethren. Well, next, I just want to ask, do I have that relationship that is required to take care of this family? Over in Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, <coughs> Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. <coughs> Again, Paul writes, at the very beginning of chapter 6, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
Now, when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, obviously we understand that's a requirement. That's something that we're supposed to help each other with. Let me just ask though, when people come up to you and try to help you because maybe you are lagging behind, whether that be because you've made a mistake, you did something wrong, or just because you know you, maybe you didn't do anything wrong, you're just still lagging behind. How easy is it <laughs> to uh, accept someone's help and to say, I do need help, and then take them up on that offer, even when it is just family? It tends to be pretty hard because you've got to be humble enough to say, I am inadequate to do this by myself. There, there are certain weights that are too heavy for me to carry alone. And so what are you admitting? I'm not strong enough and I need your help. That's hard enough with family. Can, would you do that with just a random stranger? Would you do that with someone who you have no relationship with? No, it tends to be that we just have, we have too much pride for that. And who are you? Who are you to come to me and tell me that I'm lagging behind? What about you? I, I, I'm not saying that that is the appropriate attitude that people should have, but what I am saying is it's much easier to accept that kind of, that kind of help and that kind of assistance from someone who you know is, uh, as we said, invested in you and you're invested in them, who has that relationship with you. When you don't have that relationship, it is a great hindrance and it can be a stumbling block when we try to come up and help others, even if it is out of, just out of brotherly love. Well, have you shown brotherly love up to that point? And I think far too often uh, we haven't spent the time that it takes to actually build up that relationship so that way when the bad times come, it will be all the, all the more uh, easy and simple for someone to take us up on that offer and for us to come and help them because especially when mistakes are made and that's why we're lagging behind, you don't want to hear that from someone that you don't love. The only time you really accept that in a, in a very uh, humble way and in, a, in an easy way is when it's someone who you know loves you. And so again, this takes time. So what that means is you need to start building relationships now and don't wait for those bad times. If there's someone here that, now for me and Paige, it's a little bit easier. It's not as maybe embarrassing because we just got here and we're getting to know everybody. But it could be that you've been here for a while and you still don't know someone's name. Well, there are a few people here that have put a lot of time and effort into a very nice directory. And it's not just the names and, 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 and cell phone numbers. They actually have their pictures. So you get a face and a name. So it makes it even easier for you to, to try and get closer with those people. Maybe you do the, know their name, never, never uh, have ha shared a meal with them, never had that kind of fellowship before. There's always tomorrow. There's always this week. There's always this weekend. And you know what? Football season is coming up. Those weekends are some of the best times to have somebody over and to get to know, get to know them better. Because guess what? You have, a lot of filler, uh, you, you have a lot of moments where you don't have to constantly be thinking about, well, what do I need to say next? And you have that common interest maybe. And so all of that is just maybe just kind of additions to what I have on the outline. But I go through all that just to say we can make it easier on ourselves if we're trying to build those relationships. So, so take those opportunities when you can make it easier on yourself. So finally, with uh, this, this first point here, before we move to the last one, is am I opening myself up to these kinds of relationships? A lot of time, the reason that we don't deepen our affection or our investment, or the reason we don't invest at all in brethren, in Christ, is because maybe we're not willing to be vulnerable as I say, open ourselves up over in, um, not Galatians, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, at the very beginning, uh, in verse 1, Paul says, starts by saying, does any one of you, and I hope that that's big enough for you to read. If it's not, you can turn in your Bibles. But he, he says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know what, that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. There's, in, you can even tell by Paul's language immediately. There's like a heightened level of, of, of shame. And why is that? Because you're taking brethren to court. You are showing that one way or another, or in both directions, love is lacking to a great degree, to a required degree. And you need to fix that. And, you can't, and, and, and all that before unbelievers. What are people seeing outside of Christ? They're saying, well, they're no different than the rest of us. They, have no un, they don't have unity. They're not willing to be defrauded. Their pride is still keeping them from progressing in their relationships. Guess what? What kind of example are we being? And so we need to be careful that we don't follow in, that, in the same spirit of that kind of, 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 that kind of uh, lack, I would say, of relationships. Are we willing to be hurt? And I would just say, as we're entering into these kind of relationships or deepening them, don't be naive and think, well, I'm never going to be hurt. Let me tell you, there has been a few times in the short time I've been preaching, there's been a good number of times, actually, that I have been hurt, that page has been hurt. While I've been preaching, just by, brethren, by brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't go into this thinking, well, this will, this will never happen. What if Jesus had done that? Jesus didn't go in, he didn't come to this life, he didn't become God manifested in the flesh to just, you know, live a happy life and never have to struggle and never have to deal with any differences with those who were supposed to be his closest brethren. No, but it is his brethren that put him on the cross. But all the while, Christ knew that. And what did he do? He said, while on the cross, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. So all the while, as we're asking these questions, we, maybe the best question to ask is, am I trying to look as much like Jesus as possible? With our earthly families, we give a lot of second chances. It becomes second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, and, and we just keep going and going and going. And back to what I was saying earlier, why do we do that so often? Why do we give so much leeway? Because that's blood. And I'm going to make sure that they are, are in the right. I'm going to make sure that if they show any signs of repentance, I'm going to take that and run with it. And yet how, what a disconnect when we go from that with our blood relatives on this earth not with our brethren who have a deeper blood connection in the blood of Christ. We give second chances all the time. Do we do this with those who have been baptized and put on Christ? So am I currently treating the church like I do my earthly church? I would say is the main question that we have to ask when it comes to, to uh, the fact that this is a family in God. Well, the final point is just the idea of what family should take 
precedence in our life? Who takes priority in your life? Is it the church family or is it the physical family? And I do, th- I wanted to go through this because I think there's balance that's needed as we approach this. And I think that this balance helps us as we go to even topics like withdrawal and, and, uh, and other things. So th- I think that this is um, helpful to see just a few of these points. First and foremost, looking at the example of Jesus over in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. This is so telling about what Jesus' priorities are in his life, what relationships matter most to him. In Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31, Mark chapter 3 and verse 31, it says that his mother and his brothers arrived where he was, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So obviously he was teaching. He was in the middle of, of, the, of his ministry, and they, his family, his blood relatives, earthly family tries to come, and they try to uh, see him and talk with him, but they can't get to him because there's uh, a, a crowd around him keeping them from him. Now, continuing on, after he gets word, that his family has come to find him, has come to uh, look for him and see him and talk to him, how does he answer them? Does he say, oh, everyone stand aside, make way. The, The more important people are coming. What does he say in verse 33? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I love, you know, just the way Jesus teaches, it's so, it's just beautiful to me. And I love how uh, cutting his language can be just using simple words, using simple language. You want to know who my brothers and mother and sisters are? You want to know who my real family is? Look around you. It's the ones who have sought me and have found me. Not just seeking for, you know, carnal things, not just seeking for earthly things, but those who are looking to him for that, that uh, for salvation, for that relationship with him. So these are people who truly invested in him. And what does he do? He invests just as heavily, not just as heavily, not just equally, but much more so. And he promises that he will invest in you if you do it first, if you invest in him. He's already given so much. Well, all we have to do is come to him and accept his teaching and accept that, uh, that sacrifice that he has given for us already. Now, when it comes to the priorities that we are supposed to have on this earth while we're, before we get to heaven, there is a balance that's needed in terms of, well, obviously what the Bible teaches is the church family comes before the physical family. That doesn't mean that we just neglect our responsibilities, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But I have heard sometimes, you know, there are many people today who will say, you know, family, that's the most important thing. And in a lot of ways it is. And, and I think that's good to a degree, but sometimes I think we can corrupt that and twist it and take it way too far. You know, family means everything. So even if they are doing something terribly wrong and wicked, we're not going to say anything about it. Even if they are going off the rails and they are going against God, well, then we're just going to try and make, we're going to act like everything's okay because what are we going to do? We're just going to run them off, aren't we? Well, I don't think that's the case. Who matters more, that person or Jesus? Who matters more? That person who obviously is not as invested in you or especially Christ or Jesus, the one who invested so heavily that he put himself on the cross, gave himself on the cross. 
and, and so often I think that we, our, our, uh, our priority, our, the precedence, it gets misplaced in the wrong family. Yes, we're supposed to have a great deal of consideration. We're supposed to have a great deal of, of uh, energy spent on our physical families, but not to the point where we just neglect and forget Jesus and the spiritual one. And so are we putting more of our efforts, are we putting more focus on the church or our own families? Again, we're going to balance this out in just a moment, so don't, don't get ahead of me. But next, as we look at these relationships within the church, uh, just adding on to what we've already said over in Luke chapter 14. <coughs> Luke chapter 14, excuse me. <coughs> Luke chapter 14, uh, and, and also in ver uh, Matthew chapter 10, we'll look at that in just a moment, but very similar passages that basically describe the same thing. There is an expectation of unrivaled love that culminates in the gospel um, in Jesus, but it is not necessarily unique to it. There's also other areas in life where that unrivaled love is required. For example, the husband-wife relationship. There's no relationship on this earth. There's no other carnal relationship that's supposed to get in the way of that, right? And we see that throughout the scriptures. We already talked about Ephesians chapter 5, so we don't have to get back into that. But you also see this when it comes to the relationships of the church. Uh, in Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 27, and he's, as he's talking about a relationship with him specifically, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, or I, I think I'm in the, the wrong uh, verse here, beginning, oh, uh, beginning in verse 25. He says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, sometimes people will read that, and especially if, uh, if they're reading through the Bible for the first time, they say, I, I thought Jesus said not to hate. I mean, I thought we weren't supposed to hate anybody. Well, you look at other passages, but even within the context, I think you find that what Jesus is talking about is a comparison. When you, or rather, contrast the love that you have for God with any other uh, relationship, even with a spouse. It shouldn't even be on the same list. You're not comparing it to the same thing. I remember there was um, a Brother Tom Holly. I told you I'd mention his name a lot. Uh, but Brother Tom Holly, he was talking about this specific passage. And, um, and, and he said, you know, if I went up to my wife and I said, you know what? I love you so much. You're, you're on my top three list of things that I love. <laughs> he just asked do you think that she would be justified in, in being maybe unsettled a little bit? And maybe she would just ask the question, who's number one and two? You take that a step farther and you could say, there's a list? <laughs> when it comes to your spouse, there shouldn't be one, right? Because there's no other woman. There's no other woman that I want to be so close to other than Paige, other than my wife. And so I'm never going to try and pursue uh, uh, that kind of intimate relationship with another woman other than my wife. And, and, and the same goes, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a best friend that trumps your wife. I, I remember when I was, uh, uh, Paige and I were talking about getting married and I was even looking for a ring and talking to her brothers about it. I was always friends with her brothers. We were always really close, especially Levi. Um, he... he 
he would say things like, it, you know, it's just like you're forgetting about us, and it's like you, you, just, you just don't even care about us, about us anymore. You care more about her than us. And I was kind of like, I mean, well, I kind of do. That's kind of why I'm looking for a ring. And he didn't like that at first. Now he's actually quite happy about that, and, and, he's, and he's joyful about the fact that that is the case. He is still one of my greatest friends, and it's very hard to trump that relationship. But let me tell you, it is impossible to trump the relationship that I have with my wife. Sometimes I don't show it as well as I should, but it is. And even Levi, not Luke, not Adam, none of them will ever come close. Now, we, and I can say that about my wife, and, and I can get brownie points for saying that, but let me tell you something. It should be even more so that way with our relationship with God. I will talk about how much I love my wife, but when I talk about God, it, I can never stop. I can never stop talking about his good and his purity and his holiness. Because even with the people that we love most, we can still find it very easy to talk about some, some of the mistakes that they made, especially when we've been wronged. But with God, not one time has he ever failed me. Rather, it's always been me that has been the failure. It has been me that has been unfaithful. But he, even through, through thick and thin, he has been faithful to me while I've been faithless at times. And so that's the way that we need to look at our relationship with God. That's what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 14. Not that you need to just hate people for no reason. But when it comes to a relationship with me, that better be the way it looks to people. And I think you find the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, very quickly. Matthew chapter 10 in verse uh, 37 beginning. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me, he's just simply not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his, own, his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So you see a very similar passage that maybe gives a little bit more clarity to what we were just talking about in Luke 14. There is no list when it comes to God. It is him that rules alone on that list. Now, finally, again, I said I was, we were going to get to this balance very quickly. Acknowledging this fact, everything that we've just said, it doesn't mean that we just ignore our earthly families or our earthly responsibilities. There's a balance there. And so you look at uh, over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, again, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 7 beginning, it says, Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so even Paul, he's saying, listen, yes, I have taught many times that you need to make sure that these relationships in the church take priority. But at the same time, look at what he says about those who do not provide for their own families, their earthly families. Look at how serious that penalty or severe the language is when it comes to those who are not going to do their job and provide for their own, especially when it's their role, their responsibility to do so. Not very lofty language this time. But he says, worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. And so, again, there's a balance here. We don't just neglect our earthly families. We still have to make sure that we are doing those, the things that we are supposed to do, taking care of them in the roles that we have as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as siblings, whatever the case may be. We need to fulfill that role. In 
first, well, I forgot that it was right on the screen, wasn't it? But you see verse 8, that's highlighted, or that's underlined because that's the main point. Over in Second uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11 beginning, he says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread but as for you brethren do not grow weary of doing good now very quickly all i wanted to say about this verse is just because you're prioritizing the highest responsibility doesn't mean that we have to you know by necessity neglect all others what it means is we put more energy into this and this is the most important thing rather than other things but that doesn't mean we just say well all those other things it doesn't matter getting those done you know there's kind of a priority when you're on a time crunch to, to get something done, that, t that takes priority because it's urgent, not because necessarily uh, it, it, it is more important on your list. Me and Paige, very soon, it's getting closer and closer to the date. We're going to have to change our driver's license to a Kentucky driver's license from Mississippi. <laughs> that date is quickly approaching, and every day that I you know, take to not do that, it becomes more urgent. It should be that God's priorities always remain the most urgent and always remain the most important. And so in terms of relationships, make your priorities God's. And I think you see that point given in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, as you see uh, referenced there. Well, as we talk about this, as we conclude our thoughts on this idea of the family in God, this is not some empty promise of familial love like a football team as we were talking about earlier. This is supposed to be a living reality. It's not something, it's not just a slogan that hopefully will bring people in. Because honestly, when you talk about a family, families aren't perfect. And families are sometimes the reason that we pull our hair out. <laughs> that it reminds us, since they're here, Brad once said that, something like that. And he said, I mean, the reason that I started losing hair was because of my sons. <laughs> And it wasn't because, you know, a natural thing. I literally pulled it out. And it was much more graceful when he said it. <laughs> it just, it, it reminded me because I was staring right at them when I said that. But sometimes they are the reason. Because guess what? They're imperfect. It's hard to get along sometimes. But why do we go through it? Why do we suffer those wrongs? Why, do we, are, why are we willing to be defrauded? Because they're family. Now someone may be thinking about this expectation of this kind of familial love. And they might be thinking, well, this is just expecting too much. Thank God that Jesus did not think that way about us. Thank God that he didn't think that way about his people, the very ones that put him on the cross. But he decided to go through that suffering for us. Well, if you're a Christian, maybe you're struggling with something and you feel like you can't fix it alone. Please, let your spiritual family come in and help. If you need to study with someone, if you need just the encouragement of someone, if you just need accountability from someone, there's nothing we'd love more than to help you get to heaven. If you are not a Christian and you have not given yourself to Christ, you haven't put him on in baptism, let me just say, maybe you never had a good family that you grew up with. Maybe you're someone who, who just doesn't know what a good father figure would look like, mother figure would look like, a good brother or sister would look like. You don't have to. You come to this family and God says, I'll fill that void. And I'll fill it more perfectly than any earthly father or mother or sibling ever could. So would you take him up on that offer this morning?
Do you want that heavenly father who is that perfect father uh, that all other earthly relationships strive to look more like? You can make that happen this morning. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.